Hello folks, Agent Jared here with a tip for you if you just want to jump in and talk about the comic book service. We got a little chatty on the front end talking about our Bond experiences of late, and we tossed the question around of what we'd like to see in No Time to Die, so we don't really get to the comic book discussion until about 19 and a half, maybe 20 minutes into the show. So if you want to get to the comic, just go to about 19 and a half to 20 minutes into the show and you can take it from there. If you want to hear our jibber-jabber, well, that's coming up next. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Rogue Agents, episode 15, featuring Ian Fleming's James Bond 007 Case Files. Service. episode of the Rogue Agents Podcast, a part of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast channel brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors, White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host, Agent Delvin, but you can call me by my code name, Darkwell. Joining me as co-agents are, now you know the crew of characters, but we got to introduce them because that's how podcasts go. We'll start with Agent Death Probe. I know him as Jared. And he can tell us what is the most 007, what is the most Bond-like thing that he has done since last episode. Uh, that'll be easy, uh, Agent Webb. We are all just back from Dragon Con in Atlanta. Uh, what I want you to be in mind of is the part in Casino Royale after he gets poisoned. And he's out in his car and he's fumbling with all the stuff. And he's trying to give himself basically like a clear, you know, <laughs> come back to life. And Vesper helps him. And. He's got to like get all the stuff on. He has to be back at the table at a certain time. And he runs and he gets there and he's covered in sweat. And he's like, Glass Sandals killed me. Very yeah. similar, except without the poison or any of the cool gadgets. So nothing like that at all. But here's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we were rushing to make it to a panel on time. I had to corral everybody because nobody listens to me. I had to find my brother and my son in the men's room. Be like, we got to get going. We got to get going. And I was on our way down there, and I tapped my left pocket, and I realized I have not brought my square device, because a guy bought something last minute right before I left the table. And so I've gone all the way down to the, from the fourth floor to the first floor, and I still have to go a couple of blocks down to the thing, so I, ah, just sprint back, and there's no way I'm going to be on time. Going up the escalators, dodging people, grab my square, get down there. I still come in, much like, now I'm going to mix movies, much like the end of Goldfinger, I came in with about three ticks left. I did make it to the panel on time, and I literally had three minutes to spare. I was covered in sweat, and it damn near killed me. That's all I have to say about that. But you made it. And, and I did. for I, the experience. I, I did make it. It was to Van Allen Plexico's reading, which was very entertaining. Not enough people came. They missed a show. It was a good reading. Agreed. Well, it's, it is possible that, you know, they got confused at the number of panels that Van Allen Plexico uh, attends i'm amazed like i've been to a couple of shows with him here and or him at the show and i've never seen him actually at his table <laughs> selling merch i He's think he literally panel. had 17 panels over the course of the week i think it was 17 oh, oh my goodness <laughs> just for comparison purposes i had three and if you add your three to mine it's still three <laughs> that's how math works that is. That's mathematics. So, moving on, we can bring up, uh, how about Agent Weasel Skull? I call him Jason when he's not looking. And could you tell us what's the most Bond-like thing that you have done since last episode? So, as you all know, I'm still reading through all of the Fleming novels. I brought You Only Live Twice with me to Dragon Con. Got about two-thirds of the way through that. I'm liking that one. I know people are hot and cold on it, but I've been enjoying it. Other than that, it's been pretty slow going, learning some Italian. That's about it. How'd you have time to read during Dragon Con? <laughs> I, I had five-hour flight both ways. Ah, that's where I read. I got it. I was like, dang, I had no time to read. I brought like a couple single-issue comics and read zero words <laughs> during Dragon Con. It was like, thank God, dinner, like, sleep. It was more like I'd start reading and, oh, <laughs> sleeping on the flight, so. 
that con, you know, not that anyone asked me what they probably were about to, the con, which would probably be most Bond-like thing that I've done, was there were some days that, like, by the time I even got to bed, just I was, like, trying to message someone, and I'm basically, like, nodding off as I'm messaging, because all that <laughs> phone smacks around, in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah, almost. Thankfully, I was just, you know, holding it on my chest instead of, like, you know, up in the air. Because, yeah, it, I would have had an accident. <laughs> would have been bad yeah i kept up with my italian but that was about it that's about all i could do at the end of the day we heard about your italian would you like to impress us with any right now jason oh sure you parlo italiano that means you speak italian Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um what else can i say uh Chef Boyardee. You don't mind your own Chef Boyardee. Wait, Chef Boyardee's nuts. There we go. There we go. All right, I'm going to go back on you. Absolutely. I believe that's the very little-known pig Italian that uh, you guys were just talking about. And on that terrible joke, we are going to pass it. You know, he's, he's not a guest anymore. If you're a guest that's been around the house as long as Alan's been at this point, you're not really a guest. But we are most grateful to have his company. And Alan, you have the floor to say whatever it is you wish as an introduction. Oh, dear. <coughs> you throw me now. I'm going to go with, first off, thanks for inviting me back. I don't know why I keep accepting, but I just have nothing to do on a Wednesday night. I just have nothing to do on a Wednesday night, apparently. Most Bond-like thing. So you said that basically everybody on the show had been at Dragon Con. Well, that's not true because I wasn't there. Oh, Alan's got FOMO. (laughs) But the most Bond-like thing I've probably done since the last time I was on the show was actually go to another convention, which was Comic Palooza in Houston, where Jill and I actually did a whole presentation on 25 things that you didn't know about 007. The weird thing about that was they actually did the panels on an open stage in the middle of the main convention floor, which I've never done before. Rather than being off in a side room or anything like that, yeah. they were like yeah. literally right in the middle of the convention floor with all the booths and everything around us. There was like a gaming booth across the aisle, and it was like, I thought we'd like get drowned out. Folks in the audience wouldn't hear us, but it actually worked really well. And we got quite a few people who came and sat down because they were wandering by and heard what we were talking about. The weirdest thing was that uh, we had a screen up with the panel description and obviously promoting the a certain book a guy walked by and took a picture of it and then walked over and said hey i work for mgm legal um, <laughs> what are you guys doing <laughs> and he was like oh that's really cool i might come back and listen to the panel but he never came back so we've been waiting for the cease and desist email for the past two months but it hasn't turned up so uh, but he, yeah he took a picture of the panel thing with our, uh, our names and links on it so uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my. Ooh, so. that artist went. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have two things. I can't believe none of us mentioned the fact that we all attended. I was one of the panelists with Van and the rest, uh, Delvin and Jason both attended the James Bond panel at Dragon Con, which was Build Your Own Bond, where they got to design their own secret agent and their own villain, title of their own movie, and name the Bond girl, all based off of like really stupid prompts that Van and I wrote. Yeah. 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 So that was a lot of that. was. That sounds fun. That sounds fun. Second thing is, Alan, didn't you have something of announcement about a big thing coming to America soon? Oh, yeah. I've actually known about this since May and I've had to keep quiet about it. So, yeah, it was great. Today, they actually announced uh, Bond in Motion exhibit is coming to the U.S. It will be in the Peterson Automotive Museum in L.A. starting the 25th of September through to October 2022. So we need to do a Bond of Majesty's Secret podcast trip to LA to check out Bond in Motion. I'm 100% in on this. Yeah. Yeah. Can we do a recording there, do you think? Would that be possible? I don't know. I, I have no pull about Peterson Motor Museum, so I don't know. <laughs> all, they, all they can do is How try to stop us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can hear the mics, mics being banged around when I'm trying to podcast and fight people at the same yeah. time. I don't know. We can, we can, hey, we can always ask. We can only say no. So, uh, oh man, true. Yeah. They, uh, we, a, we, we, we can only say no. And B, we might actually outnumber them. <laughs> <laughs> I knew about it because they're oh. taking a lot of the vehicles from the uh, Inflowing Foundation. So, last time I was there in, uh, in May when we were going through the stuff that was coming back from the London show, we were also prepping it to go to LA, but I couldn't talk about the fact that it was going to LA. But now it's out there. So there's, it's going to be bigger 
Of course, because it's LA. It's going to be bigger than the London show, have more vehicles in it and stuff. So, And that's this year, September. October, yeah, it starts in a couple of weeks. Yeah, in, in, on the 25th through to October next year. Yeah. Tickets to LA, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we need to ask Van about uh, the Patreon and maybe drop. Yeah, so get, you can get first class air tickets from the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for mm-hmm. the yes, whole crew. Yeah. Absolutely. Five star hotel. Yeah, that should work. Yeah. Thanks, Patreon. <laughs> Thanks, Mick Vigicata. <laughs> I'll add one sad vignette, and that was I was in London and I did not go to the Bond in Motion, but I saw it, saw it was a thing. This was early 2014, before I was even a rookie agent on this podcast. And so Bond, I saw Bond in Motion, I was like, eh, that'd be kind of cool. But like, yeah, there's some other stuff that I would rather see. You know, that's kind of like a almost got him story, but not really. But the important thing here is Jared. Jared's frowning at me. Jason is sitting in silent judgment. I got better. That's that's the thing. I, I came that's onto good. the podcast. I absolutely walloped Pat when it came to the competition for the rookie agents. And, and now I'm here as a full-fledged agent. So I got better is what I'm saying. Oh, Pat just sent me a text. He said, no, you didn't. <laughs> Hashtag, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> this one's was shocking. Okay. Before we get started in talking about the comic book, I figured I needed to add at least one random element in it. And since the movie No Time to Die is slated to come out in October, fingers crossed, toes crossed, I would cross my legs, but I, I would probably throw my back out. The question that I have is what do you hope to see from No Time to Die? And that's kind of an open-ended question. It's not like a right answer or wrong answer or anything like that. But I just wanted to know, what did you hope to see in this upcoming uh, movie, uh, the 26th in the franchise? We'll start with Jason. Jason, what do you hope to see out of No Time to Die? Maybe we should start with what I hope not to see. (laughs) You all know who that is. (sighs) <sighs> Unfortunately, I have not gone spoiler-free, so I know I'm not going to get my wish in that department. I know that little pinhead son of a Desmond Llewellyn wannabe is going to be in that thing. But, okay, let's be positive. What do I want to see? I want to see some crazy balls-out action. I want to see something that will make Tom Cruise from the Mission Impossible movies go, dang. I want to see James Bond actually do a mission not go rogue again i don't want to see any more of the rogue nonsense i don't care about his emotional attachment to madeline swan in fact if madeline swan dies on the first act i'm not gonna really shed too many tears on this thing just me just my preference i like my old school bond m gives him a mission he goes and does the mission roll credits bond will return that's how i like it some of the things specifically i'd like to see are actually here I want to hear the 007 theme blaring. If they play that 007 theme during this movie, I will be in seventh heaven right now. 007th heaven, if you will. I want to see a big, massive army versus army fight. We haven't had a big army versus army fight since, like, I think we were talking about Living Daylight. So it's the last time you had basically Osama bin Laden and his boys teaming up with Bond to take on the Russians. You know, I miss that. I miss those crazy action sequences. And I want to see Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter, which, again, not exactly spoiler-free. I think I'm going to get my wish on that. So that's basically it in a nutshell. Balls out action, 007 theme, Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter, and Bond actually doing a mission. That's what I, I want to see in this movie. That's all? As, I mean, we can go minute by minute if you want. <laughs> so close to be yes and no answer. It's the movie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been thinking about this one for a long time, hoping somebody would ask me this question. <laughs> like six years, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone has had time to think about it and actually possibly come up with their own script. <laughs> so, <laughs> it in. Uh, yeah. so, yeah, let's see. Alan, Alan, what do you want to see in this upcoming movie? Actually, a lot of the stuff that Jason just talked about. I don't care about the Madeleine Swan thing. I was hoping that that wouldn't come in. So I just hope that isn't a major part of the, the movie. I'm not bothered about certain other people returning either. What I want is a good action movie, old-fashioned, straightforward James Bond movie. 
What am I most looking forward to? Probably the end because it'll be the last Daniel Craig. So I'm looking forward to the James Bond will return with somebody else <laughs> at the end of it. From what I've seen, little bits I've seen in the trailers, some of the action sequences look good, but I was burnt by the trailer for Spectre because I loved the trailer for Spectre and the movie we got didn't reflect that at all. So what I've seen of some of the trailers, I like the trailers have been inconsistent. The last US trailer that just came out, the final US trailer, I thought was terrible, but the final international trailer I thought was really good. So just the way they constructed them and edited them. So I'm sort of a bit ambivalent about the movie. I know I'm going to go see it. I'll probably go see it multiple times. I hope it exceeds my somewhat mediocre expectations at the moment. I hope I'm proved wrong. Let's put it that way. And now we have to close out the Albrick sandwich. We had Alan as the the very tasty (laughs) meat in between. And we go to Jared. Tasty meat, Alan. That's what we call it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, pretty much what the other fellows have said. Jason, I definitely would love to hear John Barry's 007 theme. That would be aces for me. I would love to see Daniel Craig in the Navy uniform. That would be kind of neat. I don't think we ever saw Timmy in that or George in that, but it'd be cool if it, you know every Bond could get at least one scene in the Navy uniform. Aside from that, what I really think I'm going to see, because I've stayed spoiler free. I still have not heard the song. I still have not seen any of the trailers. I'm 100% spoiler free on this. Only thing that I'm hoping that we don't see, or or maybe I do, because it would be the greatest, hilarious gag of all time. Do you remember at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming, when everyone thought there was going to be an after scene and Captain America comes out and he's like, so you thought there was going to be something after the credits. It's a lesson on patience. I think we're all going to get to the theater, excited about new Bond, and Craig's going to come out and sit down in a chair and go, so you thought the Bond movie was coming out today, did you? It's going to be the greatest troll of all time. And that would be hilarious. But no, aside from my stupid jokes, I'm with Jason. A mission, the music, and the only thing I'll add is the naval uniform. Much like Alan, I'm not sad that the Craig era is coming to an end. It is not my favorite era. But then I have to look at it through the lens of, I'm getting older. I don't know that Alan is, but I'm getting older. And maybe this is the bond we needed to bring more fans to it. You know, more of the youthful fans to it. And, and I'm looking forward to really starting something new. So I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. I don't dislike Craig. I respect what he's done, but I am, I am ready to move on. And that leaves it to you, Delvin. Since I am the most junior of agents here, I, I don't have a ton of expectations. I just, I, I want a good story and a lot of action. I don't necessarily have to have that cookie cutter Bond story where Bond's given a mission, then Bond executes says mission, beds 2.5 women, and then calls it a movie. I'm not wed to that. I don't have to see that as long as I wanted to push the limits. And I guess what I mean by that is when you see something as cool as Thunderball for the first time in the underwater scenes or just something like that, I want to see them push the limits. And I know that they had to go back for reshoots because some of the technology and things that they put in the movie became outdated over the COVID times because it's kind of tough. You know, a technological generation is like a year and a half now when (laughs) when we grew up, it was 30 years. So it's just shortened and shortened. So the opportunity to impress someone with new tech has almost gone completely by the wayside. Even if you consider back when Bond came out with a movie once every two years. Think about that. Like once every two years, but now a technological generation has passed. So you would see a movie now, like the last movie is like, oh, that technology is so old and gross and we don't use it anymore. That's crazy, isn't it? Let me jump in on that, Devil, since I've been doing the documentary of the James Bond video games. All right, mm-hmm. so Craig's video game life starts on the Motorola Razor. <laughs> right, Casino Royale was on the Motorola Razor. Oh, my and now it has spanned all the way to his last. His last official game came out on the Wii U, but they just did some downloadable content for stuff on like the latest generation of consoles. So that's that's how much his tenure spans, and that goes nicely what you're saying about technology. He starts off the razor and he fishes basically like on the PS5. That is hilarious. I had a Motorola. So I still have it. And I don't use I, it. I just have it. <laughs> I got it. And then I upgraded New Year's Day 2009 to the iPhone 3. And Fancy. now it's like, yeah, now it's like iPhone, you know, 
12.8 digital. I, I think it's like hardwired to my back now. Anyway, we are getting way far left field. We should probably talk about the main subject that we're here to talk about, and that is James Bond 007 Service from Dynamite Comics. I'm going to read you a few credits. As I mentioned, the publisher was Dynamite Comics. The published date was 24 May 2017. The writer was Kieran Gillen. The artist was Antonio Fuso. The colorist is Chris O'Halloran. The letterer is Simon Boland. And editors were Joseph Rybrandt and Matt Humphreys. I looked up on dynamitecomics.com and for the individual special, it was $7.99. Does anyone have the original comic book of the four of us? Yep. How much was the comic uh, individually? $7.99. And it was special because it's a prestige format book. So this is the original. It was a one show. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So $7.99 is the right cost. We will then move on to a plot description for service. And a quick thank you to whomever put this in wikipedia.com because I cribbed directly from it. So thank you for that. Word was received by MI6 from an unidentified source that the newly appointed U.S. Secretary of State, Alexander Thomas, was being targeted by a shadowy radical nationalist group after he made a political statement against the United Kingdom. The trail leads to James to Denby North and a fanaticist named Marshall, who viewed himself and his group as an auxiliary unit that believes Britain needs defending from the likes of Alexander Thomas, hence making the latter an enemy of the state. Finding the auxiliary unit at an abandoned World War II bunker, Bond is knocked unconscious and captured by Marshall's comrades. The team urges Marshall to kill 007, but Marshall spares James and takes him along with them, captive at the Imperial War Museum where the U.S. Secretary Thomas was going to hold a press conference. As he's wanted to do, Bond escapes to find Marshall, who already has had Secretary Thomas cornered. Bond takes the shot before Marshall could kill Thomas and saves the latter's life an act which he believes to persuade Thomas to change his political tactics towards Great Britain. And with the synopsis out of the way, we've got to pull the gents and ask them, was this a first read or reread of the comic book, Jared? It was a reread, sir. Alan. Reread. Oh, Jason. Reread for me. Well, it was a first read for me. I have the book, uh, Bond 007 Case Files. That has four comic books, of which we've read now, counting service, three of them. And I'm going to just give it away. We're going to be discussing Money Penny on my time around for the fourth one because I'm getting my money's worth from this book. Darn it. And since everyone has read it besides me, then we should already have some pretty good highs and lows from the book. We can start with Alan. Just tell us any comments, highs or lows that you have uh, about service. I'm going to start with some highs because, like everything that I talk about, I got stories. Um, <laughs> no, it has a lot of memories. That cover, um, I love the cover with the Imperial War Museum on the front and Spitfires and stuff in the air. That not that the Spitfires have any relevance to the story, but you know you can't go wrong with a picture of a Spitfire. But the Imperial War Museum, I used to go to the Imperial War Museum every time my dad and I went down to London. That's where we'd go was to the Imperial War Museum. I spent way too many hours and days in there so uh, that's really cool and then inside they talk about Bletchley Park um last time we were in the UK Jill and I spent a, a day at Bletchley where the Enigma coding was done we went in there expecting to maybe spend an hour or two and we literally spent the whole day there and we didn't see everything it's an amazing place highly recommend it and they talk in there about the fact that they have a full working model of the old bomb computer the the first computer that Broke the Enigma code. We've seen that working model. It, they actually ran it while we were there that day. That's it cool. Makes a hell of a racket and throws oil everywhere, and it's made out of plastic <laughs> parts. It's an incredible thing to see. But uh, yeah, so when they're talking there about the fact that they don't have that time to fire it up and stuff, that sort of rang a bell because we've actually seen it in action. And the other thing was him catching the sniper with an old Lee Enfield 303 rifle. I actually was in the army cadets at school and I was actually the school armorer. Would you believe my school actually had its own armory? And I was in charge of a rack of 20 
Lee Enfield 303s and used to spend pretty much every Monday afternoon field stripping Lee Enfield 303 rifles and cleaning them and stuff. And I used to be captain of the school shooting team, which we used the old Lee Enfield 303s when I didn't need these things to see with. So, yeah, I've shot a lot of Enfield 303 rifles over the years. Um, so just seeing it in, in the book. Though when he talked about it being a vintage or ancient, I can't remember the exact word he used. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, about it being a vintage firearm, I was like, hey, hang on a minute. Um, but uh, so the plus side for me was it just, the story aside, it just sparked a lot of memories for me. I enjoyed a lot of those references. Well, that's really cool. So that speaks to the authenticity of the book. Looks like the uh, writer and team did some homework that we have a historian here to verify. That's really cool. Jason, what about you? High or low, sir? I'll keep going with the high and continue on the theme of the weaponry. I thought it was pretty interesting. Number one, the fact that Bond had to go on this mission. And since he was in the UK, he was not allowed to bring his firearm, but he had state-of-the-art gadgets. So you had that on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you had the enemy that was armed and carrying not just the Lee Enfield rifles, they were firing Webley revolvers. They had Sten guns, is that? Yeah, Sten guns, yeah. Sten yeah. guns that the British commandos used in World War II. So there's a lot of attention to detail on the weaponry, and you had that juxtaposition of the new gadgets and the old weaponry throughout the story, which I thought added a pretty unique flavor. I like that. Can I just pick up on the whole thing of Bond not being able to use his weapon in the UK? I love the fact that that was a plot point, unlike a certain movie, <coughs> Skyfall. <laughs> you know, Bond is not allowed to use weapons in the UK. He is not allowed to operate in the UK. He's MI6, not MI5. He's licensed to kill, does not work in the UK. So I love the fact that they actually made that a plot point in this story. So. What Wikipedia said, if I'm not mistaken, is that they covered that in the series Varger. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I have not read Varger, but I know I've heard the lads talk about it. So they said that that was covered in Varger. So I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know uh, why he wasn't allowed to have weaponry. So that's cool. I didn't know that, Alan. Uh, let's pass the uh, ball to Jared and see what he has to say. Yes, it's called the hard rule. You can giggle now if you would like to. Got the hard rule. <laughs> Got all that done. Uh, I'm going to echo Alan. I think the cover, which is by Jamie McKelvey, is fantastic. It's gorgeous layout. Spitfires make everything better, as, <laughs> as Alan already told us. They look great. Bond looks great. I love the tie and the wind. I love the symmetrical setup of it, and I love the coloring. This is a fantastically beautiful cover. You know, the lads here have talked about the sort of World War II era throwbacks and the historical nature of some of the things that happen in this book. And I thought it was cool too, but it, I did have to think like Bond looks across the park and he's like, it's the Enigma code, right? And guys who have studied a lot of war history, like myself, Jason, Alan, I don't know about you, Delvin, how much war history you've got into. We're all like, yeah, Enigma code. Then I thought, well, if you hadn't studied that, does that mean anything to you at all? So, and Delvin's shaking his head. So I was like, I think they might have assumed too much of the audience on this. And so it's kind of a high and kind of a low, like a high for all of us who are like, oh, oh, Spitfires and uh, <laughs> an Enigma code breaking machines and stuff. But for people who aren't, you know, fans of the history, be like, uh, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not central to the story, but. I'll piggyback on that and say I agree because when you know Bond kind of smiled and was like, "Yeah, it's the Enigma code." It's like, how did he know that? <laughs> I did not know. So me not being a history buff, I had no flipping idea at all. So yeah, I do agree with you on that point. Uh, we can pass it back to Alan uh, for round two. I'm going to go with the negative. I actually really didn't like the story or the artwork. I think Bond is completely off model. I know Jared and I have talked about this a bit, particularly his dialogue with M seems completely out of character. Let me ask you yeah. why. What do you mean it was out of character, the dialogue? Too flippant, too cheeky, disrespectful. Bond and M have a sort of senior commander, father-like relationship. And it was too informal, too flippant, I thought. Okay, sorry uh, to interrupt, please. Continue. No, 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 that's fine. 
But my main thing for me was the art. We talked about how great the cover is, but unfortunately, I don't think the interior art stood up to that, particularly the action scenes. I had to go back over the action scenes several times to try and figure out what was actually happening and who was who and who was fighting who. The figures looked very static, flat and static to me. So, yeah, it didn't really flow at all. When Jared actually texted me and said, do you want to come on the show and we're going to talk about service? I was like, yeah. And then I stopped and I was like, which one was that again? I'd completely forgotten the story. And I can remember pretty much all the dynamite stories and plots because, you know, I did write my own plot summaries for the James Bond basic and website. And, and I've been through the book with a fine tooth comb for when we were doing the book. I've written plot summaries for it. And I just didn't remember it that well. The story didn't stick with me. And I thought the artwork was muddled. So sorry, guys, this is probably my next to last of the dynamite stories so far. I like a lot of stuff that Kieran Gillen's done in the past. This one just didn't didn't resonate with me. Okay. So found some high and some historical accuracy. Just wasn't a big fan of the story overall. No. Is that fair to no. say? Yeah. All the artwork. So. Gotcha. I definitely have some comments that I could add, but this isn't about me. This is about you guys. Let's see what Jason has to say. Well, at the risk of sounding unoriginal, I also was kind of taken aback by the art. And it's not that the artist was bad necessarily it just i had a hard time following the action and to me that's a critical element of any good comic book no matter how good a writer is or a writer and an artist combo even if that artist can't relay on the page what the writer's intent it really becomes a struggle for the reader and that's what i felt some of it was a struggle specifically i couldn't figure out that scene when he enters the apartment room and he looks at that statue and then like the door explodes. I got the sense he like picked the statue up and did something with it, but I couldn't figure out what it was he did to trigger that explosion or how he knew the booby trap was there. So that was one scene. Then there was another scene in the final battle. There's one of the thugs throws a grenade and nothing happens. And then Bond, you see Bond holding a grenade in another page, and then a couple panels later, there's an explosion, but he never throws a grenade. And I was almost wondering, like, did something get messed up there? Did a panel that was supposed to go here end up here or something? I just had trouble following the action elements in particular of the story. You know, in addition, I I agree with Alan 110% on Bond's behavior towards him and really is just kind of passive sarcastic tone throughout the entire book we often ask when we're reading a bond novel or or a comic book like which actor did you see portraying this bond and none of the bonds matched up to me really the one the guy that stood out the most was bill murray i could see bill murray playing this bond throughout just with his flippant lines and just kind of this quiet, sarcastic way he went about about his business. So I didn't care for that either. So that's basically it. Just going to steal what Alan said and make it make it mine as well. <laughs> kind of seems to be the thing to do for this podcast. So I say more cut and paste, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> command C, Command V. All right, Jared, uh, on this, it seems like we got our positive round out of the way. This seems to be the round of down. This might be a good opportunity for you to strike if you would like to, sir. Well, I don't want to beat the dead horse, but I do agree with everything the previous gentlemen have said. So you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to lift this up just a little bit, just a little bit. Okay, we all felt like the art. Well, I don't know about all. I can't speak for Don. We all felt like the artist wasn't exactly right for this, which kind of boggled my mind because, like, the only other thing I knew him from, he did some GI Joe work. So I was like, clearly, this guy knows how to draw action. And it, it didn't come together terribly well, but I want to compliment him on one storytelling piece. And was when Bond was doing his investigating, he would be talking to witnesses, which you know is a lengthy conversation, but it would just show you the clues in almost like word bubble format. Like you could tell the lady was describing the tattoo and the house they lived in. Then he gets to the house and you could tell Bond was talking to the other lady about the tattoo. And I thought that was a real good storytelling shortcut and it was super effective. So whether that was the writer's idea or the artist or a combination of both, I really liked that quite a bit. Yeah, other than that, yeah, I, I do have to echo. I just don't think the voice of Bond sounded right with him or with Felix. I don't know. Something about it was off offbeat. But 
Enough of the lows. I do want to put that high for that cool storytelling element that I'd never really seen done anywhere before. So kudos to originality. That using that the pictorials to do dialogue. So you're hearing the dialogue. You're making up the dialogue in your head and hearing it, even though there's no dialogue on the page. I thought that was really clever. You're right. Good shit picking that out. So with all your comments mentioned, I think that the art was kind of a mixed bag. James Bond didn't appear particularly handsome to me. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, James Bond has always been depicted as a pretty handsome guy. Some of the action scenes did throw me off a little bit uh, in that I have no idea what key that Bond saw that led him to not kick down the door that he was about to kick down to Marshall's place that blew up. It had something to do with the statue, but I wasn't quite sure how to connect that. Uh, There was a fight scene towards the end uh, in the middle of the action where the guy came at him two-handed with the knife and somehow Bond flipped it and like stabbed him in the neck with it. But like the action of that seemed off. I know a little bit about knife defenses and I don't quite know how Bond exactly flipped the knife in the guy's hand over his head and then got it back under his head to stab him in the neck. It was kind of weird and disjointed. Since I have the book, I was looking at a book that we loved the artwork on, and that was Solstice, that Ibrahim Mustafa both wrote and drew. There was a fight scene in there that I just raved about. The fight scene that Bond had with the big bad and how Bond was almost belly down and the guy almost had him in a choke. Hold was just a terrible spot to be in and Bond fought dirty and then finished him. That whole scene was so wonderfully drawn and there was no doubt as of how the action was made. I couldn't tell even when Marshall picked up the gun. I don't I didn't even know that that was the same gun that he had picked up that Bond had dropped. That wasn't really accurately depicted. So long story short of saying it was kind of a mixed bag to me, the art. I thought some of the stuff was good, but some of the action scenes that were the big keynotes he kind of missed on too. So I am mostly with you guys on that. Not bad art, just needed a little bit of uh, refinement in some places, I thought. Gents, uh, do we have any more discussion points? Does anyone have any uh, pressing? I have a question for you guys. So there was a character in here called Valance. I thought that was probably a reference to Ronnie Valance from the Moonraker novel, who was the special branch police guy in in Moonraker. I thought that was a neat thing. But having reread the story twice over the last couple of days, I still actually can't figure out who Valance is in this story, whether he's a British security guy, whether he's part of the American delegation, whether he's CIA. Anybody read it, figured out who he was? <laughs> I can't help you, man. Okay. I mean, we, we picked a lot of, on the on the art. I, I, just overall in the story, I felt like there was a good idea there, but it, I don't everything maybe felt rushed or half-baked. Yeah. Because I had a hard time following the story. Like you said, I was like, who? Balance is that the American? No, that's not the American guy. Where is he in America? I, I don't know. <laughs> you okay. know like, uh, it wasn't just know. me. Yeah. It wasn't just you. It wasn't okay. just you. No, I, so I okay. feel like maybe there was a, a rush deadline or something to make that would explain art and story just not coming together. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, Alan, I, I thought it was very muddled as well. Okay, I didn't understand a lot of the story, and I've read it twice. Jason, did you have anything that? I did laugh out loud in that scene where he sends the lady that owns the building <laughs> down to get coffee or tea and basically burns his place down. And as he's standing out there, the fire department's all there and she still comes out and gives him the tea. <laughs> hey, I think he said it was good too. Yep. I was oh, like, you know, while we're giving props, I laughed at the money penny scene too. Where he true. was like, Nope, I got I got to get going. Nims wait. <laughs> I mean, she told him that like three times already. Yeah, I know that, that. That was clever. That's that scene sounded like the voice of 007 to me. Yeah. Well, before we get to the ratings, I, I wanted to have some, you know, fun, clever facts about the book. We couldn't find any. So I went to the gentleman's journal and I picked three facts at random about James Bond that maybe you have or have not heard of, but I'm reading them anyway. Like to hear it? Here we go. Okay, the missing double O's. 002, 003, 004, and 009 have all been killed in different movies. The supposedly dead 006 returns as the villain in GoldenEye before being disposed of, while 001 and 005 have never been mentioned, 
The unnamed 008 is referred to at various points as Bond's replacement in the event of his death or being removed from a mission for insubordination. And he can also be found hanging around with Gary Moneypenny. <laughs> Two more. Pierce Brosnan was the deadliest James Bond. In GoldenEye alone, he ended 47 lives. In contrast, Roger Moore only does away with one person in The Man with the Golden Gun, the film with the lowest Bond kill count, which might make sense because Roger Moore suffered from hoplophobia, which is a fear of firearms. Last one. Not only was From Russia With Love the last movie that President John F. Kennedy ever saw, he was arguably responsible for Bond's success across the pond. After naming From Russia With Love as his favorite novel in an interview in 1961, sales skyrocketed, and it was the next Bond film to be made. That's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> All right, we, we, got, we got head nods. I'm glad I didn't come back uh, to the feed and saw people just oh, shaking hold on, their heads. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is what we need to do. Mmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. And with that, let's go to the ratings. If you don't know our rating system, here it is. We rate things on a scale of one to seven. Seven means that you loved it and it shook your martini. Six, excellent. Five, very good. Four, good. Three, just okay. Two, not so good. And one, you hated it. It's third your martini. Ugh. I understand that. No one wants a stirred martini. It's just gross. We'll start with Jared. Jared, Damn it. one martini <laughs> to seven martinis. What would you rate service? Well, I got two things going on in my mind. Al and I do a thing on the music of Bond where we're like, as a Bond fan on a scale of one to seven, you know, how strongly should this be in your library? Through that lens, I'd probably say a five. But how much should I personally enjoy it? I'm going to give it a two. It's, it's not it's not up there for me as far as the Bond comics. And it could be a victim of the Dynamite success because, like Alan said, it's it's his second least favorite. And I bet he and I's least favorite is the same one, too. And everything else has been really, really good. So it, it might be a victim of the Dynamite success. But so there's my cheap padded way out. Five, if you're a Bond collector, two to me personally. Okay. Well, that adds up to seven, so that means you loved it. Shake That's it, baby, shake it. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, what do you got? After reading Solstice, mm, mm, yeah, this does not compare with that. I can't go as low as a two. There are elements that I did like. I thought that the story, the plot was good. They had some clever elements. The art wasn't bad. I know I ragged on the artist, but it was just a couple scenes that I think just needed a little more polish, as you said, Delvin. So it's, it wasn't terrible. So I'm going to go with a three on this one for me. Okay. And let's go to Alan. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Jason on a three. Um, I was probably actually closer to a two and a half, really. The story was a bit muddled. Yeah, I had problems with the artwork, but I think what bumps it to a three for me was the research, the attention to some of the detail. Around the Spitfires. It. The Spitfires did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Spitfires on the cover, that's definitely worth an extra point. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought of that. I might, can I change mine to a three? <laughs> I forgot about the Absolutely. Spitfires. All right. I will go with a three because I forgot how great the cover was. So yeah. let me, because I was feeling like Alan, I was feeling a 2.5, but you know, we don't, we don't do that here. So I, I will bump up to a three because I forgot about how great the cover was. Okay. And Delvin, what about you, bud? I'm right at a three. I think that. There are good elements of the story. I love that Alan pointed out the history, and those are elements that I wouldn't have picked up. I can't get mad that they assumed the intelligence of the reader to know that Betchley Park, it is Betchley, right? Bletchley. Bletchley, thank yeah. you, was where the Enigma Code uh, was uh, created. I didn't know that from the start, but they assumed the intelligence of the reader. Shame on you, Dynamite, for assuming intelligence. I'm kidding. We're American! <laughs> Any guns and boobies! <laughs> but uh, when we went over Solstice, Solstice was, I mean, it's tough. 
it's unfair necessarily to compare one book to the other, but you can't help it because they're both dynamite comics. They put them in the same heartbound novel. So they have a relation to each other. And so I, I have to make a little bit of a comparison and just the fight scene alone, man, that fight scene and Solstice was eye-watering. It was so good. And these, they were so doggone confusing that it glazed over what probably could have been a great story. And also, it was almost a giveaway to me that the title was just called Service because I didn't really say anything as to what the book was about. I don't even understand why they use Service as a title. They could have just, you know, called it Agent. I don't know. Just any noun would have done, it seemed. Uh, so. Not bad. There are good elements, just a little bit something missing there. And for that, it gets a three. Well, thanks, gentlemen, for going on a- another mission uh, with me. And we will pass it over to our network founder, Van Plexico, to thank all the Patreon sponsors who made this show possible. Here are the folks that have joined up so far. They include Chris and Clinton Stewart. Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, and Patrick Hayes, and Samuel Salvatore. You guys are awesome, and, and ladies, and all you folks. Uh, I believe those are all guys. Allison Rich, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, a.k.a. AU Fan at KSC, JJP Geese. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that phonetic spelling. <laughs> Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, he's a dark horse for the Heisman, Ann Kangian, AU Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby, I Need Amanda Hug and Kiss. Yep, that's one of them. George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, there goes Davis, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, who's currently behind me, Brandon Smith. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, we had to reshuffle that. Let me do it over again. Uh, Boris the Tiger, Brandon the Smith, Cato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. Brandon, we got to get you on the V bandwagon now since you've kind of popped in between Boris and Cato. Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Die Bama, Earl Ricks. No, seriously, Die Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan. By the way, that reminds me, I've mailed out quite a few of the posters the last couple of weeks, too. We did a nice business of those Auburn posters that I had printed up based on the covers of We Believe. So I'll have some of those at Dragon Con at my table, too. If you want to pick up these really nice posters of the uh, of basically the last 40 years of Auburn football. Uh, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog. This is the year Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. He's focused. He's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, we taught Van how to say Pugis. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Alex Nguyen, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Rigas, Bill Miner, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, Daniel Barnett, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Elizabeth Donald, Ice Cream Clone. And finally, James Taylor, Jason, the Weasel Skull Arbic, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Michael Halbrook, Mick Vigicana, Mustangs Smoke Camaros Every Day, Paul Bankson, Public Land Owner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, why am I even here? John Ringer has all the talent and carries this show. Brent Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time anonymous and smart Alec donors. And that's the show. As a reminder to our audience, if you would like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com 
or over on our Twitter page at OHMSPod. If you like, you can even use the email as a reminder that's OHMSPOD at Outlook.com to send us an audio recording of your question or comment. We might even play it on the show. And we would love to hear from you and make you a part of the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. This will help raise the show's profile to attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. I want to thank Alan, Jared, and Jason for joining me on this crusade. But before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find them on the internet. Alan. For Bond-related stuff, you can find me at Bond Lexicon on Twitter or at James Bond Lexicon on Instagram and Tumblr. You can also visit the jamesbondlexicon.online website, which is the companion website to the James Bond Lexicon book. Okay. Jason, where can you be found? You can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or at Jason Albrick on Facebook or Instagram. Or if you're in Tumwater, you can find me at Denny's. That sounds delicious. Jared. I am at Yard Sale Artist. There's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my website, theyardsaleartist.com. And when I'm in Tumwater, I'm also at Denny's. Delvin? Well, that's two people at Denny's. Thank you for listening. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade, won't you please? Jared, where can that be found? Well, Delvin, I'm glad you asked. Longbox Crusade can be found on all your finer podcatchers, or you can catch up with us on Twitter at Longbox Crusade. You know what? It's not just Twitter. It's Instagram. It's Facebook. YouTube. Sites I don't even know about. It's all at Longbox Crusade. Back to you, Delvin. I'm pretty sure you could find it over the music intercom at uh, that Denny's that Jason and Jared are at. That's right. If you turn your car at stereo to Longbox Crusade FM, you can find it there. Hmm. Thanks to the fellas for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. And if you'd like to leave a question or comment on this or any other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPOD or email us at ohmspod at outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature Pat's Choice. But on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we'll return. This episode features the James Bond GoldenEye 007 Trap Remix by The Whibbler. like our very own millennial cue <laughs> <laughs> i just stole this 007 <laughs> i outsourced <laughs> i outsourced the synopsis using a, a public stream of information it's wikipedia that gathered the source to me <laughs> i did that before you had your first cup of earl gray <laughs> <laughs> i copied and pasted <laughs> Command C, Command V. Nope. All right, all right. <sighs> Three, two, and one. It was worth it. <laughs> I just had to get it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs>